Medicare for all. Your bros can suck my balls. Fuck your reply, guys. Please don't fuck your reply, guys. Just listen to reply, guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys, the leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us. I am Kate Willett. I'm Julia Clare. Julia, how's your week going? Oh boy, just started. Oh, I was going to say you were telling me before the show that you're also watching the Nexium documentary. Yes, I am watching The Vow. I, I'm like, obs- I'm obsessed with it. I the, From the minute I started watching it, I was like, how did I not know that this cult existed that this like nexium group existed and then from the beginning in the beginning episodes when they were like going through it i'm just like i would have been a perfect target for this like i i totally see how people fell into this i feel like you would not be people would you would you be a perfect target though because i feel like you're very skeptical of like the kind of like new age shit um well but but it's not sold as that i feel like it's sold as like Oh, this it's logical. And that's and also I'm like very big on I don't know when they were talking about like limiting beliefs about yourself. I was like, ooh, that's that shit is good. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that shit is like huge in California. Like when I was watching it, it was reminding me like save like the sex stuff. It was reminding me a lot of this thing that people used to do a lot back in California called the landmark form. Have you heard of that? No, it was like this workshop. Um, So Okay, way back in like the 1970s, there was this guy named Werner Erhardt who had these trainings called the EST trainings. And those were like the uh, forefront of the human potential movement, which is like a lot of the stuff that you, you know, see in the Nexium documentary, like limiting beliefs, you know, a kind of a weird mixture of like Buddhism and like, uh, you know, motivation. I think the first guy to ever do one of these like human potential type seminars was um, a multi-level marketing company founder, the the founder of the first MLM. I remember hearing about that on the dream, but so Werner Earhart, you know, he had these trainings where like it was, I don't think it was a full on cult, but you know, he was abusive to people would not let people go to the bathroom. You know, that kind of that type of uh, aggressiveness sort of fell out of fashion um after a while and then the landmark form is like the current incarnation of that i think it's still around but uh people like go to these seminars and that is like you know it's very corporate like no one like lives together or anything like that but it still is a thing where you have to like try to get everyone involved and i know that that was like a big influence for that Keith Raniere guy but it sounds like also he's very influenced by like Ayn Rand as well um but yeah I don't know I I feel like I know a lot of people that would have joined that cult I don't know a lot of people that would go to Albany though so <laughs> I think my friends <laughs> my know. friends would really be I safe do, going going to Albany does seem like a bridge too far um but also I don't know I I just I'm also, I, I like things, like, I, I just have, like, a churchy thing about me. Like, I like community-based stuff, and I, like, that's why I was, you know, sucked into to Christianity for, for a number of years. Um, so I just think, that, and this, and this, I think, sells itself as, like, yeah, like, rational 
morality. I don't know. That's that's what next and like next seems like very like morality based. Um, but yeah, really fascinating stuff. Also, yeah, I mean, it it really it's kooky because it's just like it's part cult, part MLM. But I guess maybe cults and MLMs are kind of inextricably linked. Yeah, I definitely think that a lot of MLMs have kind of a culty element to it. Like I know Amway, I think was one of the biggest MLMs and that was deeply tied into evangelical Christianity uh, and homeschooling. the, the, The DeVos family. But uh, yeah, this Keith Raniere guy, he pisses me off so much. I can't even look at his face when he is in the documentary because he like invented this system where he basically had a lot more social capital than he would in a normal situation as like an ugly, broke dude. And so, you know, he like made this whole cult where he's the leader and all these like beautiful, wealthy, powerful women are sleeping with him in some cases it sounds like trying to sleep with him like they were the ones who initiated it and then what does he do is he like wow i've invented the greatest uh thing ever he's like no i want these ladies to trim down and he makes a plan to get them to lose weight it's like what the Uh fuck dude uh so misogynistic and also just like like, he controls their calories he also like i mean i guess i'd you know, I've studied, like, just on a base level, you know, your standard, your standard cults, your, or, like, mind control, like, uh, what do they call them, uh, high control groups or something like that, like, you know, your, your Hale Bops, your, your Mansons, your Jonestowns, um, but I didn't realize, I guess, how much, like, sleep deprivation is a component of this, and he would just, like, just like worked everyone under him like to the bone and then also yeah with all those women like you were saying he like literally controlled their calories and on the episode uh that aired last night it's like one of the girls went to the doctor and she hadn't had her period in a year and that's like amenorrhea is like that absolutely happens when you know you're like severely underweight your it's your body trying to like preserve itself basically so you stop getting your period it's really fucked. I don't know. Also, yeah, Keith Raniere in his early days, if you haven't seen the show, you probably just have tuned all the way out. But the I, you should watch it for the volleyball scenes alone. This guy was really into volleyball, and it's very funny. And his, early, his mid-2000s look was like, what if David Foster Wallace were a men's rights activist? <laughs> like, it's wild. I think, like... I've been thinking a lot about this. I I started thinking about it when we were talking about astrology and, you know, um, so Karl Marx, he thought that religion was the opium of the people. And uh, he thought that, you know, basically whatever form of religion existed in a society was going to be an attempt by the bourgeoisie to uh justify the inequality in that society and i was thinking about like how you know american culture is so inextricably tied up with protestantism and that's been kind of Mm. the dominant religion in the united states since its founding and you know that is something the work ethic uh and uh the individual relationship with god it all kind of justifies capitalism but now i think 
here we are in late stage capitalism and it used to be that like the religion of the society have, had to be whatever could justify pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And mm-hmm. now we're living in a situation where it's completely impossible to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need some kind of generational wealth advantage. Uh, it's just, it's, it's really hard. You can have a full-time job and still not be able to survive. So people have invented all of these like new age things where like it justifies not only having to pull yourself up by your bootstraps but to be magic like it's your responsibility Mm. to be a magical person (laughs) within capitalism and that's what so much of this like weirdo human potential stuff is about i think and also you know just the all the various astrology crystal manifesting the secret it all has that kind of like undertone of like okay you know uh you you're expected to be able to control the world on a metaphysical level in order to be Mm. able to survive within capitalism or or thrive within capitalism yeah it's really i mean there's a lot of like both new age shit and like organized religion that have taken on like they're both these like hyper capitalistic predatory things now i'm thinking in particular about evangelical christianity which is like a proselytizing faith and also inextricably linked from now from like the prosperity gospel, which is like, again, hyper-capitalistic and is like, God wants you to be rich. <laughs> it's really fucked. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's all, it's all a mess. I, I, I just like, I've been really fascinated by this because I just can see, I don't know. I just, uh, every, it's just so easy. It seems so easy for people to be taken advantage of in this particular moment in our, our countries, maybe, maybe always, but just like this, everyone is just so desperate to make sense of the world. And also very lonely, also very atomized. Totally. I mean, hyper individualistic. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Like, I, I, you know, I think that, uh, I mean, Obviously, joining a cult has many disadvantages. Let's just go ahead and say that I agree with that. But I, I mean, don't know, the, like, the I, community I looks was, nice. The community part of it, yeah, totally. I mean, and also that's like, I mean, yeah, that's a big pull of organized religion too, is the community aspect of it. But yeah, the community. I mean, again, yeah. Would would we want to live in Albany? No, of course not. But that's what I keep coming back to. I'm like, <laughs> could I get branded? Maybe. Could I live in Albany? <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. You and I are brave by continuing to to live here in New York and not in Albany. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's 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 really it's really gotten me gotten me going gotten me thinking about a lot of different things in that but yeah i mean he's just such a nerd i just like yeah. i'm like how how yeah whenever like, a guy it's like you know a woman uh feels lonely you know w- wants to uh get laid more you know what w- there are there are many uh you know many toxic outlets for that like there's a whole industry um, of like books and uh, you know coaches and all this shit for like 
you know, dating and a lot mm. of the advice is like, is, you know, very like heteronormative and, and also just very like diminishing to women of like, you know, basically like, you know, you can get a guy by, uh, you know, shutting your mouth and uh, growing your hair and long or whatever. Him. Yeah, yeah. Tricking, tricking him. And it's so it's not good, but it's like whenever men want to sleep with more women, the, it it goes to this like very very dark place like pickup artist maybe being like you know one of the the most pervasive versions of that but i mean you know it's like if people starting colds i don't want to be i don't want to sexistly discount like our our uh our lady cult heroes ma anon sheila was okay the greatest from wild wild yeah. country you know oh my, well you know there's so few and far between our yes you know y- slay queens but but they are they're not as prevalent as our our male cult leaders yeah more women cult leaders uh that's ice i've been saying that for years (laughs) yeah well i know there was a sex cult in the bay area that had uh, a woman as a leader yeah i knew people in it good for them yeah i don't think that she was doing it to get laid though i think she was doing it to make money and and she was narcissistic but she's a girl boss (laughs) yeah uh yeah she's being investigated by the fbi now but you know <laughs> so I, she's, I she's a real think, girl boss <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> i i do want to talk for a minute about this statement from uh a a whistleblower on what's happening in ice detention facilities um so just to kind of break down the basics of this story uh there was uh, a nurse that worked at um the uh, irwin county detention center in Georgia, uh, Dawn Wooten, and she uh, had been a nurse uh, at that detention center, which is a, uh, a private detention center owned by a corporation named LaSalle, which operates 18 other detention centers. Um, so she filed a whistleblower complaint um, saying uh, that there is jarring medical neglect within the facility. And a lot of what she uh, was making people aware of was uh just the the extremely dangerous conditions related to COVID-19 um so basically uh the staff at this detention center has uh overheard the warden um telling people not to uh, tell uh other people that not to tell the nursing staff that a a, a man in the center that had recently been tra- uh, transferred may have co- might have COVID-19 um, they were not giving uh, people masks um, for a long time. They weren't giving any of the detainees masks and they weren't even giving the low level staff PPE. Uh, they wouldn't replace PPE masks once it, you know, uh, when when someone had a, a mask broke, once they did give masks to the, the detainees, um, they are uh, isolating people in solitary confinement if they have the coronavirus, but like with no medical supervision um it's just basically like a a punishment so people are very incentivized to not say that they have covid um uh, they're not testing people um they are uh they have handcuffed and pepper sprayed people who have uh, protested the dangerous conditions uh at least two guards and one member of the medical staff have uh, died of the disease um these centers, the total of the 18 detention centers holds 13,000 people. And 
Um, the I think that the most upsetting thing, though, even beyond COVID nineteen, um, is that they are uh, performing non consensual hysterectomies on people and giving like made up justifications. Um, they've given people a bunch of different reasons why they have to get these hysterectomies, and they're not um explaining them like sometimes they're just using google translate for spanish or uh well they're also they're also exploiting the fact that most of these women don't have uh, english is not their first language and they're kind of taking advantage of the the language barrier there yeah it's it's absolutely disgusting and they're forcing these procedures on people and uh yeah so you know um and Don Wooten's story has been corroborated by um, a number of other people who work in that medical center. And also, this is um, this uh, this detention center called La- LaSalle is. Uh, is well, that's for a, I think that's a company. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the company. But it is like but it is like a for profit detention center, which is just another. I don't know. There's. Yeah, although the 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 ice run detention centers, the DHS ones are, I mean, there's reports of horrific conditions there oh, as no, well, I'm not saying, including no. people dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, this is this is not a problem that's like unique to four. It's just like the fact that that's a phrase that even exists continues to like for profit de- detention center is just like such a disgusting idea in the first yeah. place. Um, but yeah, I mean. There's a long history of essentially forced sterilizations of uh, of people uh, in basically it's it's usually contained to like kind of genocidal history. Yeah, um, it's been a it's been a, a a big thing throughout the United States. Um, I mean, this isn't in uh, like the United States proper, but in the U.S. colonization of Puerto Rico, uh, over one third of women were. Uh, sterilized uh, between 1907 and 1963. Uh, 64,000 individuals were forcibly sterilized under eugenics le- legislation. Um, North Carolina has sterilized so many people in their history uh, that they have uh, offered compensation to uh, sur- to surviving victims of uh, compulsory sterilization. Um, there was also uh, Miss- Mississippi appendectomies, um, as they were nicknamed because they happened so often that uh, when women, black women in the South were giving birth, um, they would just be sterilized, often by medical students, mm-hmm. um, having unnecessary hy- hysterectomies um, without their consent. Um California was uh, a huge place uh, for sterilization. Um, like by 1964, like 20,000 people had been sterilized more than anywhere in the United States. Um, California eugenicists advised Nazi Germany about how to do these procedures it was like california is like part of where the nazis got the ideas and you know there's just been particularly a very long history of black women uh latina women um at one point an estimate of uh 40 percent of native american women had been uh Mm -hmm. sterilized in the 19th by the 1970s and even in the situations where 
It was allegedly voluntary. Uh, People were often given forms to sign that the procedure was not uh, explained to them. The forms were written in legalese. Uh, They were tied to welfare benefits. Um, The information was presented in a language that they didn't understand. They were not informed that the procedure was permanent. Like there have, there's just been a really, really long history. And uh, even like as recently as, as 2013, this has been found to be, in, be happening in California prisons. So this is just part of a, a long, ongoing, disgusting um, situation. Yeah, it's I mean. Uh, the the history of like for sterilization, for sterilization like this is just really deeply tied to uh, race and class, but mostly, yeah, both. It's race and oh, class, and also, it's, it's a lot of race. Yeah, also a lot of people who, a lot of disabled people have been forcibly sterilized throughout United States history. Um, people in any kind of institution. I mean, it's just... You know, and this is like the the, the abuses of de- detainees in ICE detention centers. Uh, we have talked about that on a couple other episodes way back when we first started the show with Rachel Lark. Um, mm-hmm. And we talked recently about it with Erica Andiola. And, you know, it's just like uh, what's going on is concentration camp level atrocities. And, you know, I totally. I. I, I mean, it, it has exacerbated under the Trump administration. Um, but, you know, Joe Biden has a really, really bad record on this issue as well. And it's going to be extremely important that people, if Joe Biden is elected, which like the presidential elections in like 50 days now to, to remain very vigilant. And, you know, it's going to be very key to to not let people check out from this issue if if trump mm-hmm. is not the president anymore totally oh i mean like that goes for every issue if if joe biden squeaks out a win yeah we have to just like there are so many issues but but this one in particular i mean yeah of course like the childhood separation started under the obama administration oh it's all it's really tough and everything is you know donald trump released a list of like he did back in 2016 he released a list of his potential next supreme court nominees um for if he is reelected which i think is like as it was in 16 it's kind of just like a last minute poll to to evangelical voters because the list inc- i mean everyone was like perfectly picked by the heritage foundation on this list yet again but i mean it, it included like tom cotton and um ted cruz and immediately when this was released, Tom Cotton tweeted, like, it's time for Roe versus Wade to go. Uh, and that whole thing, it's like it, that whole orchestration is just like to get evangelical voters who I think are already like, even if they have any like personal distaste for him, which I don't even believe that they do. Um, that really is what they care about is overturning Roe. So which they'll never do. I don't think I don't think the row will ever be overturned because it's too galvanizing an issue. But I do think that they will continue to make abortion 
practically illegal so that it's well, impossible it to I mean, get one. Like in, in a lot of the country, it is already like practically illegal, obviously. But it's like, I do think like, I don't, here's the thing is I don't think that John Roberts would vote to overturn Roe because of his like precedent obsession. But I do think that at a certain point, like if Trump wins again and he gets to appoint some more justices at a certain point, you don't need John Roberts's vote. I don't know. Yeah. It's um, hard to say. I just, you know, this is like, this is their issue that they used to fire up the, their base, you know? And, uh, it's just, it's hard to see them being ultimately willing to let go of that galvanizing potential, but I don't know. I mean, either way, no matter which way they do it, whether they roll back, uh, all of the existing protections for abortion. A lot of people talk about Planned Parenthood versus Casey uh, of them just shifting the definition of undue burden right now. Yeah. The, the the precedent is that you can't place an undue burden. Well, they can just, without getting rid of Roe versus Wade, they can just say that nothing is an undue burden. Like it's, you know, just anything is allowed. There's They can just define undue burden so that, uh, any possible restriction that a state wants to put on abortion can be put on it, you know, and it's, oh man, it is, it is just weird. I gotta say, it does feel weird, uh, as, as a woman to be, uh, in this country where it's like, Hey, you know, you gotta, uh, pick between two sexual predators, uh, and you have to pick the better sexual predator, uh, predator so that, uh, we don't take your reproductive rights away. You know, it's just really a, a lovely situation for the gals to be in. You know, I, you know, we love the gals and we're having a great time here in America. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that seems Everyone's like everyone's doing great. Yeah. That seems like a pretty good transition uh, to our to our interview. So we have a fantastic interview with a candidate for the Georgia State House, uh, Angela Mayfield. And we got to talk to her a lot this week about uh, some man there's sexist republican guys are just really coming after her and but she rocks um and uh yeah please uh i know we have some new subscribers to our patreon i just want to thank you so much for all the people who subscribed uh, i interviewed my friend steve hernandez this week who's a very funny comedian in los angeles and he and i talked about uh polyamory uh we talked about his past uh, as a youth pastor he was a a, a youth pastor for uh, a mega church and he, yeah and so he went from being a youth pastor in a mega church to being a queer an out queer i should say uh polyamorous leftist um and it's just it's all just funny as fuck uh so just <laughs> tune into that um and uh, yeah, we just we just have some really good episodes there, including the QAnon uh, ones, which have been very useful to me to understand that, like, basically, oh whenever someone's talking about uh, child trafficking, including our gal Tulse, uh, that it is a dog whistle, the QAnon, <laughs> not that child trafficking is not a real problem, but that that dog whistle yeah. is there. Um, so yeah, that's that. Uh, you got anything before we go to our interview? I really love this interview. I think it was like so cool to meet, uh, a woman running for like local Georgia office who has like pink hair and is like ardently pro-choice. I thought it was so fun. She, and she also taught me like, 
I feel like over the course of that conversation, I don't know if you felt this way, I feel like I learned, like, at least eight new phrases, like, colloquialisms, like, of Southern dialect. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's true. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was just really, really, really fun, um, to talk to her. And we hope that you enjoy it. Uh, we'll be back with a Patreon episode this Sunday. And then uh, we have a, a great show planned for next week on Wednesday. Thank you. Just listen to Reply Guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys. We are so lucky this week to be joined by an awesome candidate from Georgia, Angela Mayfield, who is running for Georgia State House in Georgia's 67th district. Welcome to the show. Oh, you guys, thank you so much. I'm so so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh my god. We're happy to have you. I'm so happy I learned about you because uh so let's talk for a little bit about how we learn about your campaign because truly the most unusual way we've ever learned about someone's campaign so <laughs> my friend sent me your uh a, a tweet that you have that was that was going viral and basically you were uh getting yelled at by a bunch of conservatives for your language can you tell us that story <laughs> so um it's the weirdest thing in the world when somebody says, oh, I saw your tweets go viral. And I have to say, which which time? Which time? <laughs> so, uh, so this started about 18 months ago. Um, Georgia uh, passed a, a heartbeat bill. You guys know what that was? We called it House Bill 41. Yes. Was, yeah. So we don't have to like my tubes tie themselves whenever I talk about it. So we don't have to go into that. But um, I wrote a, a screed, a tweet screed of 33 really fucking angry tweets about that bill and just sort of exposed a bit of the hypocrisy of it. And, um, and it went on. And finally, like in the middle of it, I was like, you know, I'm just going to go off about abortion. Let's just talk about this, you know, in cases of rape and incest and, and, and all of the, all of the things about it. I had the time that day and somewhere in that thread, like I really did. It was a Sunday afternoon and it was like a day after my 40th birthday. And I was like, fuck it. I'm not getting any nicer. Here we go. So, um, so about halfway through that thread, I threatened, I was like, what's going to happen is you're going to mess around and want to like legislate my ovaries and I will come for your balls. You're going to mess around. You're going to make me run for office. And I swear to you, I'm going to introduce legislation restricting ejaculation. I will make it my job to make sure you think of me every time you come. I have nothing better to do. And so um, send tweet. And, uh, and then I got a DM from the Georgia House Democratic Caucus that said, so were you serious? And um, they were like, are you going to bark all day, little doggy? You're going to bite? You really want to run? And I was like, uh, you dare me to eat a bug? Because if you dare me to eat a bug, I've got to eat a bug. So um, we kind of discussed it. House District 67 um, uh, was created in the last redistricting and the guy who's in it who doesn't deserve to have his name in my mouth, <laughs> the guy who's in it, um, has never really been opposed. He's never really had an opponent. So um, so basically, like, where I sat on it was like, well, clearly, I, 
I don't have good representation, which means if I don't yeah. have a good representative and I have two full tanks of privilege, like, you know, I'm I'm who he aims at. I'm like the married white lady who's a homeowner and like, you know, and if if he can't call me back, clearly none of my neighbors have have good representation. So um so I qualified to run um you know, like 18 months ago, I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. And nobody paid any attention. I mean, a little bit, you know, like it was a scrappy kind of grassroots campaign. And then our primaries came in, in, in June in Georgia. And as you know, um, uh, election day in Georgia is always either a bloodbath or a shit show, sometimes a circus and all three. Um, so, you know, of course there's like lines and, you know, things go poorly and it takes a while for the, for the, the results to come in. And when they did, um, I was really, really close behind my opponent. Now, we weren't running against each other. Neither one of us had a primary opponent. So this was kind of just like an exhibition game. It was kind of just a test to yeah. see popularity. And he just about shit through the floor. Um, I came in 750 votes behind him. So all of a sudden they went on the offensive. And I got, again, like it's been 18 months that I've been, you know, on the ballot. They all knew about me. But I finally, right after the primary, I got... I got a message from the editor of my local newspaper, and he said, um, so there are some voters who uh, are shocked at the uh, the kind of language that you use online. Uh, what would you say? And just to be, cl- just really quick, yeah. to be clear, what is that language? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can, just to let you know, we, you, you can say all, all manner of things on this uh-huh. show, so you're safe here. So the word he was talking about was, um, yeah, I won't bury the lead. I said, pussy. Wait, I, hold on. Wait, pussy. Did I say that pussy. right? Did you hear wow. it? I was said, it? First, time, first time ever on this show anyone's ever said yeah. pussy. No. Yeah. And, and in context, I wasn't calling anybody a pussy. I wasn't referring to pussy as weakness. I actually meant like... A you know a wet ass pussy. I was talking about that wop, yeah. like it, like yeah. actual female genitalia. Now we're talking about a, a party who loves to legislate it, but apparently can't say it out loud. So I got this email that was like, "Hey, you use weird language, and what do you have to say to those voters?" And I wrote back and said, "You know, um, truth is, I'm you know." I grew up where I grew up and I talk like the people who raised me. I speak fluent trucker with, you know, uh, with a coal miner accent and, you know, like a, a good like South Alabama chicken farmer vocabulary. So I, I'm i sorry. That's just the way I talk. Uh, and he said, well, what do you have to say about specifically about your usage of the P word? Um, as a grown ass man who says P word. And so oh, like Ben Shapiro. Yeah, right. Exactly. And it was so much that it was so much like he was just aghast. And I was like, wow. So I wrote him back and I said, uh, which P word are you talking about? Are you talking about the P word that is president? As in the president admitted his fondness for sexually groping people without their consent? Or is the P word primary as in the Democratic challenger for House District 67 of Georgia had a remarkable turnout in the June 
primary. <laughs> and um, so he came back. He was, he was like, how about this one? And he sent me a screenshot of my own tweet. And I responded like, look, dude, we could be talking about any number of other things. Like we could be talking about maternal mortality in Georgia. We could be talking about the fact that we didn't expand Medicaid, which means we left $400 billion, excuse me, $40 billion on the table over the next 10 years in, um, uh, in healthcare coverage. And it means that there would be 600,000 more Georgians who are covered with healthcare right now in the middle of a fucking pandemic. Also mm-hmm. another important P word right now. So I was like, man, we could do better than this. We, you're asking me about a word you won't print or say or type in an email uh, in a tweet that's 500 and some odd days old. We can really do better than this. And so the next Saturday, uh, I, I got my local paper because I subscribe, support local news. It's, it is critically important. Like, I still support local news through this and perhaps even more so than before. Um, and I was on the front page and it said, candidate stands by... Vulgar tweets. I'm oh. reading it right here. Oh, I, candidate, State House candidate stands by vulgar tweets. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so um, so the, the thing is... Um, we had that exchange in email and you don't get to twist that shit around on me. Um, and like, I'm not going to take it. And first, like first and most importantly, under no fucking circumstances, do you get to shame me for something that I don't find shameful? I didn't do anything shameful. It's like Katie Hill shouldn't have been ashamed of having nudes. It was the fact that they were weaponized against her. I refuse mm-hmm. to be ashamed of something that's not shameful. So up with that, I will not fucking put. So mm-hmm. that's thing number one. And um, so I just shared screenshots of, of our conversation back and forth. And um, the, the backlash, <laughs> the backlash was immediate and incandescent and it was like fireworks uh uh going off in this tiny town in in west georgia it was amazing my mom of course is um reading facebook to me because it's like is that not like a mom's job like all moms it's like boomer shit facebook is boomer shit at this point (laughs) yeah Yeah. and like they have to read it to you like like oh it's it's almost like my grandma used to just like read me the jokes from reader's digest like that's cool grandma like it's the same thing but my mom's reading me the comments about what people are saying about her daughter and she was so proud my mom was proud of me because i said pussy and like on the internet and um and so people started to, uh, I don't want to pivot it into money, but like people started to donate. And um, basically, uh, the Republicans who tried to shame me and intimidate me handed me a giant fucking bag of cash with which to beat their asses. So it, like the justice was immediate and swift. And like, I'm still, I won't even lie. Like I still have a little bit of like afterglow. Like, Oh God, that was so good. That was so satisfying. So, um, so yeah, all thanks, all thanks to pussy. We love that. I mean, yeah. Wet, wet ass pussy specifically. Pussy. Is there anything <laughs> um, more magical in the world than pussy? Really? There truly? Is not. Okay, good. Well, there simply is not. I uh, I do want to. I have a couple follow up questions for you uh, about this story. Uh, the first one, probably being the most important, uh, is looking into uh, some press coverage, and we have from the Atlanta Journal Constitution uh, describes you as a West Georgia SAS machine. Uh, <laughs> would you say that's a fair characterization? Well, uh, so yes, and here's why that 
that's actually my own descriptor of me. I don't, um, I don't, I don't really know how, like, it's either that or, like, imagine Dolly Parton, but Riot Girl. Like, those are the only, like, ways I know how to describe myself. And so I was really kind of, um, I was a little bit defensive of the AJC when people, allies, jumped up and said, we don't use sass to describe a female candidate. That's a gendered word. We would never use it in, you know, with regard to a male candidate. And I was like, actually, actually, they did put it in, like, you know, quotes, and I'm the one who called myself a West Georgia sass machine. It's either that or, ah, like... I got it. Yeah, so it was it was me. Um, my dad called me a bear cub in boxing gloves when I was little. So, like, you know, that was in my Twitter bio for a while. It's like a bear cub in boxing gloves, and now it's West Georgia sass machine. So I never in a million years imagined that my name... <laughs> attached to the word sass like the phrase sass machine would end up in the atlanta journal constitution you know the covers dixie like the dew our old oh man established paper i was so proud well i i i think that yeah it's it's very funny when conservatives get upset about stuff that is there's no need for it to be upsetting. Uh, but I, I want to talk to you because uh, I, when I was looking into you, um, one thing that I really admired is uh, when you were talking about abortion, you actually spoke about your own abortion and how that's influenced your politics. And I was wondering, you know, if you like, like in what way that changed uh, how you see the need for reproductive health? Um, so to, to clarify, I've actually never had an abortion. I've never needed an abortion. But the reason I've never needed an abortion is not because I always made good choices. People like to believe that abortion is a bad thing. Bad things happen to people who make bad decisions. Therefore, if you've never needed an abortion, it's because you've always made good decisions. And so someone who needs an abortion, they should learn their lesson. And that's not true. I've never needed an abortion because every pregnancy I have or will ever have will end in miscarriage um, necessarily and inevitably. Or abortion, if I'm, you know, that would be the preferred choice. I have a... um, I got two copies of a genetic variant that means I can't process an amino acid that you have to have in order to build a human puppy in your lady parts. And so um, it just means that there's a spot on uh, there's a place on chromosome one that says that I can't um, I can get pregnant easily. Uh, maybe not that easily, but I can get pregnant, um, but I can't. I can't gestate a zygote into an embryo, into a fetus um, that has a fully formed brain and neural tube. Um, so it means that it means that under no circumstance will I ever be able to have a viable pregnancy. And so when that law, House Bill 481, was passed, clearly with the intention of making pregnancy um, it's punitive reproduction. It's mm-hmm. you fucked up. So now you have to have a baby. But uh, frankly, I think the person who fucked up is whoever got that person pregnant. If you get somebody pregnant without their permission, I think that that should be assault. So um, maybe, uh, you know, don't have sex if you don't want a a baby is um, good advice for somebody um, who can uh, impregnate others. Because I've never knocked anybody up, my own self. So um, 
realizing that, you know, I, I might at some point need an abortion um, because I can't take hormonal birth control because of a blood clot risk um, and blood pressure issues. Um, I may possibly at some point need an abortion for clearly medical reasons. Um, and I wouldn't be able to get one in my state. Um, that blew all over me and a lot of it stuck. And so um, I kind of, I felt like I was in a position to, to stand up for women who have had abortions and maybe have been um, shamed for that. Um, I, I very often, and, and it makes sense, um, Kate, why you would, why you would think that I had had one, because I often talk about it in terms of our abortions, because abortions mm. are healthcare. They are things that a lot of people who are pregnant need. You'll also notice I don't say pregnant women because I think women is kind of othering. We have that sort of, um, you know, the generic male, like all mankind, uh, but mankind doesn't always include everybody. So I tend to say pregnant people because um, because as soon as you become pregnant, the I don't want to say white guys. So I'm just going to very specifically say the Georgia House Republican caucus, as soon as you become pregnant, <laughs> close enough, right? right um, you're no longer a person. If you had full personhood in the first place, which clearly you didn't, because I mean, fuck, the ERA is older than me and it's still not ratified. Like I have wrinkles mm-hmm. and it doesn't have ratification. What the fuck? So, um, so I always say pregnant people to kind of like rehumanize the fact that we're not just buckets that carry babies around. This is, you know, it's, well, speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I am a baby bucket. If, right. If like, like a whole, like yeah. a five gallon bucket, like, like a paint bucket. That's awesome. Absolutely. So, you can't have a small bucket. <laughs> you got to have a big one. This is America. Go big or go home, man. Bring the big bucket. So, um, so I, I spoke really openly about it. Um, and, uh, and I spoke about it on the internet, and apparently when you talk about your body on the internet as a sexual thing, um, immediately men also have to talk about your body as a sexual thing and give their opinions on your body as a sexual thing, which is exactly as exciting and enjoyable as it sounds. Yep. Um, so, so, heard of it? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Do you guys know, like, have you ever heard of this, like, this thing called like reply guys where they just like they don't sh- I know you know what we we keep hearing about it and we will address it at some point but just like I wonder if, not for a while I wonder if there's a probably. wiki page I could read about the phenomenon of guys who just cannot shut their fucking mouths about things they don't know anything about and that that I think was like my biggest irritation that they felt um these guys were mad at the idea of being challenged on their right, their entitlement to make legislation about bodies um, when they don't even understand the biology. And so like that pissed me off, but that was about, like that affected me personally more, more importantly. And I think um, on a greater, like not to get like super like lefty idealistic, although I am super lefty idealistic, um, the, the black maternal mortality rate in Georgia is the worst. Uh, it's worse than any place else in the country. This is the most dangerous place in America for a black woman to give birth. And it's gotten worse in the last 10 years. And I cannot, yeah. cannot abide that. Not here. Not my neighbors. No, no. Under no circumstance is that an acceptable way of living in 2020 in the United States. And I won't allow it. So it's really, um, it's less about like... Again, I have two full tanks of privilege. Um, 
I have enough resources that if I needed to, I could go to another state to obtain an abortion. And that's absolutely not true of everybody. So um, I'm here to fight for those who uh, who don't have that access. And can you talk for a minute about the factors that are contributing to the black maternal mortality rate in Georgia and if elected, what you would do to change those? Um, so there's been a lot of research um, and I don't want to speak on things that that aren't my um, my area of subject matter expertise. Um, I'm not an expert on anything but possums and shit posts, to be honest. But um, there's been a lot of really good um, academic research on the on the healthcare outcomes, and people have said that it's uh, social determinants, um, lower you know socioeconomic status, or access to prenatal birth care, or, or excuse me, prenatal. Um, prenatal like mother baby checkups and and well baby care things like that the reality is like all of those things are things that happen in a system that is inherently and permanently racist and so let's just like you know i know how people feel about the south outside the south and um i think it's important just to make it clear like the reason black moms die more frequently than white moms and i mean three times more frequently than white moms when they give birth is because of racism and every uh every snowflake in the avalanche will you know will plead not guilty but there is um it, you know, it, it goes everything from systemic issues within hospitals of uh, pain not being recognized. Like we know that with Serena Williams, like, you know, that she almost died because of a blood clot as she gave birth because somebody decided she was malingering. She was exaggerating her pain. Um, there's, um, it, you know, there's there's something to be said about let's just back up there's something to be said about a brand of feminism that claims to be extremely pro-choice and then judges women who have uh more children than is um than is common like in our contemporary society so um reproductive justice is not just your ability to obtain an abortion it means that poor people are allowed to have kids disabled people can have children everybody can can decide to have as many or as few children as they want when they want if they want and with whom they want and so there's a lot of um i mean i've seen it myself in hospitals there's a lot of judgment of like oh gosh she's pregnant again you know so there's um there is judgment uh on on black mothers, black mothers, and I, I don't want to just say black mothers, but um, uh, people of color entirely, black indigenous people of color, immigrants, um, those social outcomes are worse. And a lot of it has to do with economic issues. And the root cause is racism. And let's just make it really clear that um, nobody in the South is mad at anybody else about melanin. So when people say, I'm not mad about the color of somebody's skin, you can be black or white or purple, that's a straw man. It has nothing, nobody's mad at melanin. What it is, <clears throat> is it is a lingering result of um, after the Civil War when white landowners felt that they had been fully disenfranchised after Reconstruction, um, they felt entitled to use all the social capital that they had to suppress the black vote because they refused to accept 
the children of freed slaves as social equals. And it's continued. That's what it is. It's about social equality. Again, nobody's mad at melanin. It's social equality. It's are these people as good and as deserving as us? And I think a lot of us, and I say us because... Though, you know, I was not raised to be a racist. I was raised in a racist environment and certainly internalized a lot of it. A lot of us never um, examined our assumptions. And so um, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And and there it is. And like looking at the data and recognizing that like it all goes back to racism. It goes back to uh, redlining and um you know, where people are, are forced to live and, and, you know, public transit and all of these, these social determinants of healthcare outcomes that make it um, not just hard to be a healthy person of color in Georgia, but um, makes it just dangerous to be a person of color in Georgia. And um, I don't know, I like my neighbors too much too. I just, I can't live in a state like that. I can't, I can't get up every day and drink my coffee and like, you know, look at my tea roses and sit beneath my pecan tree and know that that's a reality that people live in. I can't, I can't live with myself. So Um, I have a question. Um, We usually ask uh, our, our candidates uh, to talk and you've already kind of touched on it a little bit talking about your neighbors, but what is district 67 like what how would you describe it it's awesome it is so awesome like i just i wish that uh, it know. seems like there's a lot of like west georgia pride um so uh, first i don't know anything about georgia like the kind of rivalries among no, there's, west georgia east georgia the, i don't know there's no rivalries i just like i fucking love it here so i am um people who live in like the atlanta metro area like we kind of have this joke of are you grown here or flown here like are you from here or did you show up here because you got a job here like or the airport or grown here flown here and i was flown here um i grew up on florida space coast my mom lives across the street from an astronaut now. That poor man has spent like 80 days in space. And now he listens to my mom's coon hounds just ball at the moon. Like, I feel bad for him. <laughs> but um, so I grew up there. I had a great public education, um, like an amazing STEM-focused uh, public education in the 90s. And I, you know, I internalized a lot of that, like wow, I should get out of the South. The South is awful. I should leave here. And I went as far north as I could go um, to college. I went to college in Boston and practiced my non-regional dialect and like 100% eradicated my accent. Like I was cleaning up an oil spill. Beautiful. Oh, thank you. I had a radio show. (laughs) I can tell. I was going to say, you should like narrate audio books or something. (laughs) (laughs) WPMC AM 530. Yeah, no, I... (laughs) Oh, my God. Incredible. (laughs) Thank you, right? If this whole politics thing doesn't work out, we'll see. But um, so I went went up north uh, to college and swore up and down I would never move back south. No way. Like, I'm not going to go back there. And and I ended up coming to Atlanta. Now, I should say, I spent all of my summers here in Georgia. Uh, My dad lived just south of Atlanta. And so I spent all of my summers here in very rural, um, I don't want to say like middle Georgia, but like um, 
if there's any Georgians listening, I spent all my summers in Henry County in Locust Grove and McDonough when I was growing up. So um, I, uh, we lived on a dirt road. The guy across, the, it was maybe, you know, 20 miles away from downtown Atlanta. Um, the guy across the street, across the dirt road, had never been to Atlanta. Um, he rode a mule uh, into the downtown little town where he lived. And he's, again, 20 miles away from Atlanta, and he'd never been there. Um, and so, you know, it was very rural. And I swore up and down, like, that is not for me. I want no part of that. And instead, I would, like, you know, live in New England forever. And I wanted so badly, oh, gosh, Julie, I wanted so badly to be, a, like, a coastal elite. Like, that's all, <laughs> like, that's all I wanted. It's pretty great. I'll be honest with you. I, I love, love it. Yeah, right? Love uh, it so yeah. Love to be <laughs> a coastal big, elite. It's big yeah. coastal elites on this show. <laughs> I was like, let's... Yeah, come on. So um, so I came to Atlanta for a freelance job. I was a, a nonprofit administrator and a grant writer at the time. And I came here for what I thought was going to be a three-month freelance job. And, and I said, like, okay, well, I can never live that far inland. I've never lived that far away from the ocean. My God, like, how could you do it? And I'll never live in a National League baseball town. How could I do that? Never. Like, like oh, Atlanta's <laughs> lovely, but I'll never stay here. And um, that's been, like, 15 years years ago like wow. and like you know I my fat ass ain't left at all like I'm staying <laughs> right here like I have this low center of gravity and I'm extremely dense and when, when like I ain't moving I'm not leaving and um when I die they will throw red clay on my bones so what happened is that I I came here and um, had all of my preconceived notions about what Georgia was like um, entirely disabused. Uh, West Georgia, my particular part of Georgia, and all of Georgia's lovely, I will say that, and I'm only a fan of West Georgia because that's where I live. I, I would cheerlead for any other place in Georgia. And the minute we get to the state line, partisanship and regionalism stops. It's Georgia versus everybody. And these hands are rated E for everybody, and I will throw them on behalf <laughs> of Georgia. So, um, I, you know, I came here and I realized, like... Um, Okay, let me describe, like, where I live. If I stand on my roof and I look uh, to the east, I can see the skyline of Atlanta. And if I turn around and look, like, across my backyard to the west, I can see, like, the start of the hills, which I know is, like, the first hill past the border of Alabama. I am dead ass in the middle between Bama and Atlanta. Um which, if you think of those two realities as a Venn diagram, that overlap, like where I sit, of, um, you know, it's, it's like beautiful and urban and, you know, Atlanta is resurgence. It's the Phoenix City that always rises from its ashes. And then, of course, like, you know, Birmingham is very traditional and, and we're kind of right in the middle. And there's, um, there's elements of both. I, it's country, but it's not. It's um, it's redneck, but it's not. It's progressive, but it's not. It um, it is a little bit. There's a like everybody has representation here. I um, I live in rural West Georgia, and my husband and I are the only white family on our street. And it like it was like five years before I looked down the road and I was like, wait, are are we the like we're the we're the neighbors who don't fit like fit in like it was um at that point i realized like wow all of these assumptions people have about the place that i live are not true 
And I didn't realize it until right then. So I kind of like, you know, looked around and um, and saw just exactly how diverse and and really quite like lovely this area is it is like kind of right in the beginning of like the Appalachian foothills we have some big granite rocky outcroppings I have um I have scuppernong and muscadine vines in my yard I thought I was just gonna make like homemade wine this summer but instead instead I'm like running for office you know I have a, a pecan tree and I grow hybrid tea roses and you know if uh, if the creek don't rise and the Rona don't get us all I will you know like Everybody can come get biscuits at my house. Like it's hundred percent, you know, Georgia hospitality. I, I will feed um, everybody all the time, anywhere. It's um, I like it. I like it here. Um, I will never leave it. It's I, I have a couple of uh, I, I have a couple more questions for you before we leave. You have, you have I, do, to stop I definitely, me. <laughs> I definitely want to come to your house and get biscuits. Um, that <laughs> yeah, you, that sounds amazing. Right. Actually, come pet my but, dog. So I I'm actually literally I on my way. <laughs> I couldn't find a lot of information online about your platform, and you know, normally like. I, I, but I saw a lot of the people that follow you are kind of like Medicare for all lefty people. I know I was wondering, like, what is your actual platform look like? So um, the reason you couldn't find a lot of information about it is because I was kind of doing this whole campaign thing by myself and like busting my ass to do it all. And um, and it's, you know, that's not what I did for a living. And and I'm not especially like good at, you know. SEO optimization and things like that. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, so, like, that stuff. Right. So there's always that. But um, <laughs> I will say that as as far... There, um, I wasn't exactly sure how the Georgia... Uh, the Democratic Party of Georgia was, was gonna... Um, was going to accept me because I'm a bit... I'm a bit left of them. I'm a bit so far left of them that they need opera glasses to see me way over on the left side. I think there comes a point when you end up so far left that you get your guns back. So, like, that's... I, that's actually true, and a lot of people don't know that. Um, yeah, there's a Socialist Rifle Association, the uh, SRA. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah, we got to have them on the show. Yeah. Um, actually, oh, boy. If, um, I can... Yeah, if if you would like to meet uh, the Southeast president, she's like one of my neighbors and like one of my, one oh of my, my best friends. God. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, there's, yeah. Uh, yes. We, and, and there's something about that. Um, I mean, if you want to talk about guns, there's, there is room, like some of us, you, you know, again, it's a cultural thing in the South, you know, people have guns and there's a reason for it. Um, my mom grew up eating shit that her family found in the woods so mm -hmm. because it's free protein and um my great-grandmother really really loved squirrels really loved like fried squirrel was like her bag and like my mom who you know is all over my my tweets my my twitter page as well my mom has more than one recipe for rattlesnakes so if you ever need like a rattlesnake recipe hit brenda up she's got you covered like like these people will put anything in their mouths it's wild but um and that i think you know like guns were a, a you know a sustainability kind of thing but um we were there's kind of two sides where some of us were raised by hank hills of like you know guns are a big responsibility you have to take care of your guns and you know you block them up and you you, 
you know, you don't talk about them in public. You don't talk about how many you have or where they are in your home, things like that. And then there's like the Dale Gribbles who just like walk around with like their AR-15s and like, you know, those things just spit bullets like watermelon seeds. So, um, Mm. and what's happened, of course, is that the NRA, uh, which is not, the rifle association that I belong to. I did. Uh, I belong to the other one. <laughs> so, um, you know, the NRA absolutely polarized the issue. And all of these people, people like me who grew up in a tradition of guns, um, uh, there's only one way that a 40 year old fat lady can go to the Olympics and it's marksmanship. And um, I'm really good. So, I mean, I didn't go to the Olympics, <laughs> but I will say that, like, uh, you know, I had a solid shot. So, um, you know, those of us who grew up in it had an opportunity to be part of a conversation of responsible, big air quotes, responsible gun owners, but the NRA polarized it. And so there is this reasonable middle that goes like, wait, no, like that, the NRA is bananas. No, that's terrible. But also like, can't we just be reasonable? So there's been like a really reasonable, silent majority. And I think that that was, um, I think that was an oversight by people of like my dad's generation who just like didn't stand up and go like, wait, hold on, what? And then like check the NRA. Um, You know, I think that that was kind of an oversight. So the people who call themselves responsible gun owners, myself included, um, we have we have been derelict in our responsibility because we didn't pay attention and we didn't join that conversation and say, no, you're right. There should be controls. These are the controls. Like, you know, how is it that I can, my truck is insured for liability and it's not even designed to kill anybody, but I can't insure my guns for liability, only replacement value. If my, you know, if my guns are stolen out of my house and they're used to murder somebody, um, I failed to secure those extremely dangerous boomsticks. So, you know, there's um, there's places where we can talk about like personal responsibility and what what that looks like um, in terms of uh, in terms of like a culture that will not ever let go of its guns. Like that's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, per- you also have to you also have to pass a test and go to driver's ed to learn how to drive a car. Right. Exactly. Like no shit. And and so you know, of course, there's there's the people who want to. And I don't want to say the people who like, you know, there's a lot of conversation. Yeah, that that was phrased poorly and it sounds accusatory and it's not. Um, Lucy McBath is is one of our Congress people. And 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 the best part about Lucy McBath, by the way, being elected uh, to Congress from Georgia is that she has Newt Gingrich's old seat. And I can tell you as a West Georgian, when he was a professor at the University of West Georgia and he left, they had to tear out the carpet and the drop ceiling and repaint the office to get the cabbage fart smell out. Ew. Yeah, I met him in real life once. I saw him speak when I was in college. And yeah, he's he's absolutely morally, morally, he's disgusting. Oh, yeah. Like I just cringe inside out, like thinking about that. So Lucy McBath has Newt Gingrich's old seat. And I will never get over that. And to be honest, neither will the GOP. So um, Lucy Lucy McBath is a Democrat. She is a Democrat. And her son, Jordan, was um, was murdered in Florida by a man using the stand your ground law, which is basically like. You know, Florida's where I'm from, but it's that's the guns shine state now. Like shit rolls downhill and it's 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 a holy mess down there with that. So Lucy McBath, um, her son died uh, by gun violence by a white man who didn't like the fact that 
kids in the car next to him had loud music on. So, um, so, you know, she definitely like is in a position of, um, you know, to talk about, you know, gun reform and gun control, common sense gun legislation. My own position is that like, you know, I am very hesitant to discuss red flag laws because I feel like the cops don't need any more tools to victimize people with disabilities, people in um, mental health crises, and people who are already vulnerable and people of color. And a red flag law gives them that. They will never see a guy who looks like them as a red flag. That dude could have more red flags than like a Chinese army parade. He's like Mother Russia with the red flags. And they'll see a white kid who just looks like them. But if they see... um, you know, it's socialized, it's a conditioning thing. But, you know, giving them another opportunity to criminalize mental illness. Oh, yeah, let's take him to jail. Because, you know, somebody's having an episode or something. That's not, um, yes, I 100% believe we need to have a conversation about um, controlling guns. I will not allow, um, I will not allow laws that put vulnerable people more at risk for encountering and perhaps um, experiencing violence from police and law enforcement. And I feel like that's um, kind of what it sets them up for. Yeah. And all of these things kind of come back to ultimately like a lack of resources that that certain communities have. Uh, like yesterday was like National Suicide Prevention Day. And that's actually that's something that a lot of people don't talk about when they talk about gun violence is that most or a hefty percentage of gun deaths are suicides. Um, And a lot of that is like, you know, like the other things that we were talking about uh, is just lack of resources, lack of access, lack of not just access to healthcare, but affordable healthcare. And um, yeah, a lot of people like experiencing homelessness, um, yeah, but it's 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 also it intersects with with the conversation we were having about abortion before. Um, like you know, you said you you have the resources if you if you need to to drive across state lines, and there might be people in your district and throughout Georgia who who don't have that. And again, that's like, and abortion is healthcare. So yeah, it's it all seems to come back to a lack of of resources um and which is wouldn't you know it that's just there you go that's that's baby you're if you figure that out you're radicalized congratulations Um, (laughs) it's yeah it's definitely a lack of social capital um and resources that you know when you when you're in a position um you know them that them that have are them that get and um so, you know, it's a lack of social resources. It's a lack of, um, there are a lot of counties in Georgia. And well, first of all, there are a lot of counties in Georgia. And, and there's a, an historical reason for that. We have, um, we're second in the nation of, with counties behind Texas. So um, we have a lot of counties and there's a reason for that. And if you ever wonder what's going on in Georgia and you're like, why is it like that? The answer is always racism. The reason we have a lot of counties is racism. There's whole books about it. But um uh, we have um, we have these counties in Georgia that have zero OBGYNs. Like there's, there's mm. not. There's just there's nobody to provide that health care. Um, uh, there for a long time in my own county wasn't um, there was not 
there were no psychiatric therapists, like, or I should say psychologists, like, um, like, and, and psychiatrists as well, like prescribing physicians who were accepting new patients. And if you don't have a car and the ability to get to Atlanta and go in town, you know, to Buckhead and, you know, pay the copay and see a fancy shrink up there, like, what access do you have? Like, what are your options? How hopeless must you feel to 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 feel as though you have zero help and zero place to turn? And then, you know, and then also have to deal with... Um, the constant perpetual stress of just existing while black in the South. So, um, yeah, it's it's a matter of resources. You're completely right that. Yes. So what is it like for you to be a. Like, do you, do you think that that is. Kind of a do you see that as like a lightning rod issue, the fact that you are a a staunchly like pro-choice woman in a state where your governor, your Senate and your house are all like vehemently anti-choice. No, at all. Not at all. And I think you can kind of, um, here's how you know that, um, that, that that's not, that that's not the case, that there is a, there is a silent Southern progressive majority that has been systematically disenfranchised and, and repressed. We have been this way and we have been progressive since dogs could talk. Um, labor unions, uh, resistance here in the South, um, like we come from this from way back. Um, progressive values are a hundred percent Southern values. And if you like, if you really want to get into it, like, um, and I'm happy to go with like, I love having these conversations with the voters because um, I'm happy to talk about like, I'm a preacher's daughter. So I'm more than happy to like quote scripture. And it's like, it's the red words in the Bible, which by the way, is just like a salacious novel, but like, it's, it's uh, like, you can't, you can't say that you cannot separate progressiveness uh, and being a, a, a progressive and being um, a Christian. Those two are intrinsically linked. Um, you know, they, Jesus was not fucking around when he said, I said, do for the least of these. I didn't, I didn't stutter. I didn't like, this is not prosperity gospel. Like, you know, you protect widows and orphans and, you know, you, you tithe for people. I'm, I'm personally not, um, I'm not at all like religious or spiritual, but I speak, speak the language fluently again like preachers kids always go to one extreme or the other and yeah. um so you can kind of tell for, for the for those who don't You're know the, the, red, post- the red words in the bible are the ones that are worse said by jesus allegedly yes those, yeah. are, allegedly. those are the ones that are attri- those are the attributed quotes. attributed to him yes exactly yeah. so um and and people will say here you know a lot of us democrats will say here it's the red words that make me a democrat um the the Southern Baptist Convention was founded in Augusta, Georgia, in I want to say eighteen sixty four. I'd have to do that on background. I'm sorry, it's like off the top of my head, but they did it um, because they needed a a denomination that would accept and validate the chattel slavery of other human beings, which is distinctly forbidden. Um, uh, by several passages in the New Testament. So really what they wanted was like a church who made them feel better about themselves. And um, and many, many years ago, 
our <laughs> my personal favorite Democrat, Jimmy Carter, broke from the Southern <laughs> Baptist Convention for that exact reason because like there's there's still there's still work to be done. Um, these yes, our governor is a uh, our governor is a slap nosed chicken bone shit legged um, you know corn dog stick in the mud at the county fair. He's an absolute terrible human being who has failed up his entire life. He's been kicked upstairs. Um, the, you know, like, and he's awful in so many ways. I've never seen somebody cheat so hard to steal a job that they didn't want to do, like went out of his way, spent his own money and burned his own gas to become governor and has fucking no interest in governing whatsoever. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's, uh, you know, a piece of trash. That's a, that's Brian yeah. Kemp for those for those at home. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just thought everybody knew. We call him Brian Cramp, as in like salty and doesn't feel good. So, um, you know, the thing of it is, is that our our elections, our Georgia's particular um, voting system, and not not just the electronic voting systems, but also the way it's kind of written out in in state law and constitution puts puts progressives on the back foot. So if you you know, if you're outside of Georgia and you feel anything about Georgians and Georgian voters, please don't let it be, my God, they're so stupid. They keep electing um, Brian Kemp. Like, we're doing our best. And, like, I mean, it. I don't want to say the system's rigged, but, like, you know, it is. I mean, he, but he rigged it. <laughs> like, he literally cheated. He yeah. literally cheated. And he is, like, disenfranchisement is his middle name. Like, he, like, when you talk about the, the progressive... Um, you know, the, the Southern progressives that have been stifled and that have been disenfranchised, that's exactly, I mean, that, largely that means black people. <laughs> that, that largely means black people and rural people and poor whites. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that's, you know, that's my fam. That's me and my neighbors. And we've we've been disenfranchised for a long time. We've and additionally, yes, you're right. He stole the election. Everybody knows that. But um, I mean, everybody knows that even them, they're just proud of it. So um, everybody knows that he stole the election. But I think more uh, more dangerously, the, the thing is that it it undermined everybody's trust in our election system. So and, and you know, didn't want to do an investigation and fought tooth and nail. But like you would think that the Republicans would recognize like. Guys, there's no such thing as a fucking Whig party anymore. Uh, polarities of parties change. You won't always be in power. At some point, you're going to want things to be fair. So can we just all, like, put our dicks away and quit with the pissing matches and recognize that we have to at least create a fair um, electoral system that enfranchises the polity? Because why would we leave that kind of mess for the voters that that, I mean... The voters that are coming up behind us, why would we leave a mess that bad? So if nothing else, we all have to agree that the rules should apply to everybody and that the fights should be ideological. And the fact that they're like, nah, nah, we don't, uh, no, we're not going to look into it shows that like it was never, it was never about anything more than maintaining control. That's all it's ever been about. And listen, like I said, I'm 40 years old and I'm way fucking tired of being controlled by men. I've had enough. 2020 has left me dead inside. You can't say anything to hurt me at this point. Like, they can't kill me in any way that matters. <laughs> like, it's just, at this point, um, 
this next election is like a referendum of like, do we want to keep doing America? Do we want to keep doing Georgia? Or do we just hit control, alt, delete and like restart? Like, um, so that's, that's kind of where we're at. So if you think of Georgian voters, like, please don't think of us as stupid. Think of us as, um, as disenfranchised. And, and one other thing for everybody else that's not from Georgia, when, when national news comes and finds like, old white guys in the diner who talk about like how great Trump is recognize it's old white guys in the diner because they don't have anything better to do. The rest of us are busy working from can to cane. He's flapping his gums because he's retired on a union pension and he has social security and he's talking about how great Trump is. So like awesome. Like, frankly, his wife probably threw him out of the house and said, get the fuck away from me. I have things to do and you're underfoot. She does not have a wet ass pussy. No. Are you kidding? It's like <laughs> his that. Wife and has she, a dry ass pussy. She has not since since the Clinton administration. Like, it's like dry, like <laughs> vacuum cleaner dust. OK, yeah. like, it's like a bag of vacuum cleaner dust. It's uh, so I mean, those guys don't represent us. They're more than happy to talk to a camera. The rest of us have shit to do. We're not sitting in diners. The rest of us have stuff to do. We cover our faces. We wash our hands, you know, um, uh, you know, wash your hands and say your prayers because germs and Republicans are everywhere. <laughs> I want to make sure That's before gorgeous. we wrap up that our listeners are able to find you and know how to vote for you. Where can we find you on social media? When's your election? How can people vote? So my election is when everybody else's election is, which is November 3rd, which hopefully this, you know, will be the day that the fucking nightmare ends. Um, You can find me um, more off, like more time than I should be on Twitter. Uh, My at is pink rocktopus which i know is kind of weird but i have a tattoo of a giant pink octopus and i made that handle up long before i ever thought i was going to be a candidate for office so also you can find me at angelaforgeorgia.com and i don't care how you spell it it can be angela for ga or angela for all the way spelled out doesn't matter angelaforgeorgia.com and um and you know what i don't i don't mind it when people like you know, send me a DM and say hi. Like, it's like, I don't want to say like, you know, my DMs are open, but like, you know, I'm usually congenial. Um, it's a Southern trait. So <laughs> you're, you're from Georgia. You're like a, a Southern belle uh, with pink hair and better opinions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all I wanted to do was, all I wanted to do was be Weezer Boudreaux for the rest of my life. I have an old pickup truck. I was, oh my God. I was ready to like rebuild my Chevy V8 and like just grow Finally. my T-Roses. I just wanted to be Weezer Boudreaux and they fucked around and found out and like now I'm pissed and I am on a mission. Finally, a Steel Magnolias reference that we can all get behind. <laughs> I, uh, I've had such a good time talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Angela. Oh, Thanks, my Angela. gosh. Like, this has been oh. a real, real privilege. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. Huh? Good luck. We're rooting for oh, you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Reply, guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Uh, the show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, O-H julia tweets and twitter is where you can also find our reply guys they are always with us bernie take us out as i 
went walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land. Your this land, land is mine. 